yeah, you can be a congressman and have a nice title and uh, feel very rewarded in your work and at the same time be tired and exhausted and feel like you're not doing enough. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Putt. I'm a partner here at Reboot. When you stop to really notice, it's amazing how active our inner dialogue is. What are you saying to yourself right now? Maybe you're hearing the sound of my voice, kind of thinking, oh, all right, when do we get to Jerry? Maybe you're thinking about an email you just wrote or one that you need to write. Or maybe you're thinking about your ever-growing to-do list and can just feel the anxiety welling up within you. Or maybe it's a bit of all of the above. As I was listening to today's podcast, I was noticing how just even this morning, my inner voices were in complete control and successful in pulling me out of the moment. There I was with my 22-month-old daughter, full of energy while she sat at the breakfast table. She was singing and playing and clapping her hands and asking me to play Happy Clap Your Hands, as she calls it. And I was in my head. How am I going to get that done today? Do I need to ask for help? Maybe I need to check my next email. I could feel the voices almost speaking louder like they wanted to drown out my daughter. The most important conversation we have is with ourselves. So what are you saying right now? Today we have Congressman Tim Ryan on the podcast in a conversation that was recorded back in November. Tim is a special guy. And not just because he's a congressman, but because he is committed to bringing heart, humanity, mindfulness, and a long-term focus into a space that doesn't always welcome it, government. He shares his journey to mindfulness with Jerry, his ongoing practice, noticing his own inner conversation, and his commitment to mindfully planting seeds for the future and having the patience to watch them grow. A Reboot Circle is a hand-selected group of peers in matching roles who meet in supportive, Reboot Coach-facilitated sessions twice a month. We just recently started accepting applications for new roles, including Head of Product, CTO, People Ops, and VP of Marketing groups. And this is for the very first time. So what are these groups really like? We asked a current member to share his experience with Reboot Coach and Facilitator Andy Chrisinger. Hi, my name is Bobby Brannigan. I'm co-founder and CEO at Mercado. One of the biggest challenges that I face as an entrepreneur has been navigating the waters of solving hard problems while under extreme stress. You can't be open and honest with everyone about your business, right? Because you don't want to scare people away. You don't want to get people nervous because that's going to affect their ability to do what they have to do. At the same time, you know, there's not a lot of people that actually could relate to these situations. So having a group you could turn to is extremely beneficial and allows you not only to spend more time thinking about these issues and how to better solve them, but hearing yourself explain them out loud and getting people to question different routes that you might think about taking and and that kind of stuff is invaluable. It's been great to have that group to really think in a much deeper sense with people that are sharing the same challenge and they're really trying to grow and really get out of that comfort zone just as I am. 
that's been really excellent for me. So who do you turn to? What if you had a community of peers who are committed to supporting you in solving your greatest business challenges? A group that knows intimately the very challenges you face every single day in your role. A group you knew you could always count on. There is great power in knowing you are not alone. Learn more about Reboot Circles and apply for a group in your role at reboot.io slash circles. Hurrying and delaying are alike ways of trying to resist the present. Alan Watts. Hi, Tim. It's really great to uh, see you again. And it's been a long time since we saw each other. Yeah, good to see you. So before we get started, um, you know, I'll, 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 I'll name it. I'm excited uh, about this. This is, uh, I haven't said this to you out loud. I'll say it to you now. You're a bit of a hero to me. Um, why don't you tell us, uh, tell us who you are? I'm Tim Ryan. I am a congressman from Ohio. I've been in the United States Congress for 13 years, and I have a wife and three beautiful kids and two pretty cool dogs uh, back in Ohio. And I spend uh, three or four days of my week in Washington at the Capitol. Yeah, well, well, my sympathies for having to spend that much time in Washington. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Um, Thank you so much for coming on the show. You know, this is a bit of an unusual thing, as you know, as I explained to you before we sort of went on the air and sort of recording. um, Most of the guests that we have on the podcast are entrepreneurs, and and um, you know, I, I. Every now and then we'll do an author, and as, as I've mentioned to you uh, a few months back, uh, our mutual friend and, and teacher, uh, Sharon Salzberg, the, the great Buddhist teacher, uh, was on, and we had a delightful conversation, um, really, about mindfulness and leadership. And, 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 you know, that's what I was hoping to have a conversation about um, uh, with you, Tim. Um, folks probably are not aware um, but we met, I guess, uh, maybe two years ago, um, really because of your commitment. You, you often speak about mindfulness. I often speak about it in terms of meditation, but we met because of your commitment to a kind of meditative awareness and mindfulness and practice. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. And, and I remember a talk you gave at Wisdom 2.0 right around the time of the or it was a, a conversation I think you had right around the time that uh, your book, A Mindful Nation, was uh, released. So I'm going to plug it. A Mindful Nation by Congressman Tim Ryan is a terrific book. And it's really, from where I sit, a kind of call to action and not just an exploration of mindfulness and leadership. Is, it, is that a fair description of the book? Yeah, no doubt about it, that uh, once you learn about it, learn the impact it can have, you know, you, you develop some kind of uh, obligation to try to push it and promote it and get it out because it can be so helpful. So that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about. It was, um, you know, so many of the guests, so many of the people that, that engage with the podcast are in one form or another struggling. And at this point, after 30 or so episodes, people are used to me talking about meditation and Buddhism. So I'm not going to apologize for that anymore. But um, 
Because I know that in my own struggles with depression and my own struggles to sort of find my own center, that uh, in addition to medication, in addition to good therapy, was uh, uh, there was a relief that came when after sticking with it for a, a year or two, that I began to actually alter my relationship with my own feelings and my own thoughts. And so I'm a big proponent of exploration of mindfulness generally, and very specifically the role of mindfulness in leadership. And, and I'm seeing you nod. I, I think you know what I'm talking about. Is that right? Absolutely. Essential. Yeah. So, so tell me, and I've never heard this story. How, how the heck did you start? Because none of us, very few of us grow up meditating right yeah it's well i grew up catholic um and guilty as well (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and so a lot of my childhood was spent in and around the church and i had my grandparents who lived two blocks from me and just growing up i remember there were rosaries all over the house i mean it was just uh around the bedpost you know, my grandparents were always praying it. I would ride my bike down their house in the summertime and, you know, the radio would be off, the TV would be off and they would be praying the rosary. All right. I I need to interrupt. So I need to ask a question. Did you grow up with the pictures of the Pope, Jesus and John F. Kennedy right next to each other? (laughs) Because I did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you weren't alone there. That wasn't necessarily in our house, but there were lots of talk of the first Catholic president for sure. And, you know, it was always religious talk around the house. The church was the kind of center of the community. Um, But from a contemplative side, they Mm -hmm. prayed the rosary. And, and I remember in high school, I went to a Catholic high school, you know, played sports and all that. But I remember my coaches would go, and it wasn't just my grandmother at the rosary club. It was my grandfather too. Mm -hmm. And then I remember my coaches, um, in school, there was a chapel at John F. Kennedy high school where I went. (laughs) And, uh, and I remember my coaches going into the chapel, like they'd ring the bell and I'd cross my coach in the hall. And one day I looked down and he was ducking into the mm. uh, chapel. And I remember my other coach and athletic director, like going into the chapel um, in the middle of the school day, you know, to say their prayers or meditate or whatever it was. And I remember going to mass and walking down the aisle and looking over to the right and seeing one of the old legendary football coaches in our area praying the rosary. So the older I get and the more I look back as to why did I think this was possibly okay for a congressman, Mm -hmm. athlete, whatever, Mm -hmm. to like really embrace the practice the way I did. And I think the more I've been doing it, the more I look back and reflect on it. It was I had some really good role models who were my role models in sports and role models and kind of how you should act and behave. And that included some kind of quiet time and prayer and reflection and meditation that they, um, I saw them participate in and not be ashamed of. They did it in a very public way. And after high school, I had a a priest teach me centering prayer, which is a Christian-based meditation, mantra-style kind of uh, prayer, and then flirted. I always knew it helped me. You know, I would do it for two days and I wouldn't do it for two months. I'd do it for a day, wouldn't do it for a year. But Mm. every time I did it, I knew 
I tried the Deepak Chopra meditations, the Wayne Dyer meditations, the centering prayer, the rosary. I mean, I've, I've done it all and flirted with it for a good part of my adult life. And then, um, I went on a five day retreat when I was about four years, four or five years into my congressional career. Mm-hmm. And I'm from Ohio, which is a very busy political state, always big elections, um, that decide big things for the country. And I was in Congress and then I was, became on the appropriations committee and kept getting more and more responsibility, more and more fundraising, Mm. um, was needed. And I was just, I wasn't burnt out, but I was to the point where I knew that I would, I was 35 at the time. I said, I'm going to be burnt out by the time I'm 40. There's no way I'm going to be able to keep this pace, um, and not be burnt out. So knowing that I liked meditation and knowing that it helped me, but I couldn't quite develop the habit. Mm. I knew I needed to do a retreat. I had done one or two day retreats in different places and really enjoyed them. And, but knew I, I needed like a four or five or six day retreat if I was going to build the daily habit of doing it. And so I found John Kabat-Zinn on the internet Mm. and he had, at that point he was doing what was called the power of mindfulness retreat up at Menla. And, um, so I knew of him because a few years earlier, he sent his book coming to our senses to every member of Congress. And I had read some of it and, uh, especially a part on the body politic of how our kind of collective anxiety makes its way into our, you know, body politic and all the rest. And I really found it fascinating. So when I saw he was doing this, I said, I like this guy. And I just kind of, you know, signed up. It was, it started two days after the November election in 2008, the Obama, um, John McCain election. And so I knew I had a week where I could probably sneak away and no one would know. And I did it and spent five days in increasingly more periods of silence. And it just blew the top off my head and changed the way I looked at the world, myself, my role in it, um, his, his, it's been quite the journey ever since then. Wow, that's a great story. I, I want to thank you for a couple of reasons. One is linking it back to your experience of being a boy and watching your grandparents brought back memories of my doing the same thing. And, you know, I had a um, one set of grandparents that I was closer to than the other, my mother's parents. And, and growing up in Brooklyn, I had this very vivid image of my grandmother uh, with her stack of prayer cards every morning saying the rosary. And as she got older and older and more and more of her contemporaries passed away, she would say more and more of the prayer cards. And so she would start her day in a very contemplative, spiritual way. What began with perhaps an hour ended up being three hours. And and in remembering that and, and recalling that memory, I think of my own daily practice, which is I, I really don't feel comfortable unless I start my day with, you know, journaling and meditation. And, you know, the problem is it means like it takes an hour and a half to two hours between <laughs> when I wake up and I'm ready to start my day. And then the, the second thing that it helped me understand is why I was drawn to Tibetan Buddhism, which is uh, highly ritualistic. And it reminds me a lot of the Catholic Church. And there's, there's a comfort in those rituals. There's a comfort. I, I often joke, it's like, I'm, I like men in big hats. Um, <laughs> but, but, but there is a comfort in the, the ritual and the, and, the, and the magistry of 
centuries-old contemplative practices, really regardless of the wisdom tradition that it's coming from, but really associated with um, taking a moment and, 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 and really pausing and increasing a kind of awareness. And, and uh, I remember now, having heard the story of your uh, really being introduced to these modern practices by John Kabat-Zinn, who's, who's m- most famous for books like uh, Full Catastrophe Living and Wherever You Are, There You Go, or whatever it is, I'm mispronouncing yeah. it. But, but really for a kind of secular approach to mindfulness that is incredibly powerful. Um, yeah. So thank you for that, and thank you, thank you for bringing that all in. I also was thinking about your story about being in your 30s and looking at burnout. And, you know, from, for me, you know, a lot of the listeners know that I was 38 when I hit another point of depression. I should have been meditating the way you were just before. <laughs> you know, I hit that the consequence of that burnout at 38 and I was in the venture business and and really ended up finding meditation as a practice as a consequence of walking away from it all. Um, so I relate to 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 the tension point and and I wonder if this this feels resonant for you. Um you know, you're at this sort of height, this pinnacle. Here you are, a congressman, relatively young, 35. Um, and yet you felt the kind of burnout coming. You felt the, 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 the tension coming. And, and uh, the dissonance between being at a successful place and feeling the need for something more uh, is striking to me. I don't know. Does that... Does that resonate with you? Yeah. Well, all indications, and you see this a lot, you know, all indications on the surface are, you know, you're happy, you're fine, you're set. Boy, I'd love to trade places with that person. They make this much money. They have this title. Um, You know, and it it does help you to really understand because part of that uh, understanding is being aware of the suffering in others. And no matter what it looks like, there's a good chance there's something, something there. It's not as nice as it seems. Mm -hmm. And everybody has, it's just the nature of being human. Everybody has these ups and downs, these struggles, no matter how good things go, there's usually something else happening, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and that helped me not only understand that that was happening in my own life, that I was, Oh, I guess I was semi-aware that I was going to be burnt out. That's why I went. Yeah. But to become aware of holding both of these things in the same space where, yeah, you can be a congressman and have a nice title and uh, feel very rewarded in your work and at the same time be tired and exhausted and feel like you're not doing enough or mm-hmm. got to take so much effort just to get a little something done you can have both of those going on at the same time. But to me, if you're not aware of both of those at the same time, then you, you habitually put your attention on something as opposed to have a choice of where you want Like this can be here, but I'm not going to focus on it. I'm not going to ruminate on it. I'm not going to make it a bad habit to just stay in that space. I can now it's there, but I can choose to put my attention on Mm. um, the other things that are going to help sustain me. Mm -hmm. And that, that's, that to me was the real awareness of 
you can have the title and the glory, but at the same time have this other stuff going on and everybody else has got other stuff going on. And so how do you, what do you choose to put your attention on to me is the ultimate awareness. You know, uh, I have to be honest with you. I'm, uh, in this moment, I'm, I'm really moved by what you've just said, because I realize that I've been carrying a somewhat uh, two-dimensional view of who you are. Not only because, even though we've met and we've talked before, but a two-dimensional view because I see I can't help but have this label, right? And even though I'm looking over your shoulder in your office and seeing pictures of gorgeous family, right? You know, I'm, I'm projecting onto you a label, right? Politician, congressman, and what, what strikes me is when you said, when you made reference to suffering and, and the fact that people are suffering. And I realized that in my own naivete and my own myopic view, I was not, I was surprised. Wait a minute. There's somebody in the House of Congress who knows that veterans are suffering, that people are homeless in the streets. I mean, I'm both moved to a point of almost tears and heartened. And I'm not going to put you on a pedestal. You're, you're just a guy. Just a guy. <laughs> just a guy who's working it. But, but I think that we've just hit upon something really powerful, which is that there's, there's, there's something very painful that happens when you sit and pause and meditate, and that is that you open yourself up to the fact that there's suffering around us. Mm-hmm. Does that resonate? Yeah, around us and inside of us. And the big, the big thing for me at the end of the five-day retreat, when I ended up in tears, yeah. was that you realize, like we talked about our grandparents, your grandparents are gone, and I thought experiencing a very high level of awareness that you experience after being in silence for a number of days, thought, boy, how many moments I had with them where I was not there. I was somewhere else and the chances are gone now. Right. So how do you both embrace that you cry or whatever, cause you miss them. But then now I have kids, mm. you know, now I have dogs. Now mm. I have a wife. So as painful as that was, it's always that reminder that, you know, these moments are precious. And so be there for them. And I think that, again, is the choices that you have to make. You can get in a space where you miss your grandparents or miss people who aren't with you any longer, um, which is, I think, fine and Mm -hmm. completely healthy to do that. But it can't consume you. Mm -hmm. You have to take the lesson, extract the lesson from that and help that increase your awareness for the life that you're living now. And Mm -hmm. use that almost as a tool, a touchstone. Yeah, that sucked. Well, I was stupid back then. I did stupid things. Mm -hmm. I was mindless, whatever. And, but I'm not going to do that with my kid. You know, I got a 17 month year old baby at home Mm -hmm. and I just watch them, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm with them, you know, and I, you get distracted and sometimes I'll get on my phone. Like I'm babysitting. Yeah. You can't call it babysitting because it's your own kid, right? That's right. I've gotten yelled at for saying that, but I'm watching Brady and I'll have an email or something and he's doing something really cute and I get into my phone and then you know how you go from one email that you have to take care of and then you go down to the next one and you know, five or 10 minutes are by and I look up and he's the cutest little thing. I'm like, what am I fooling around with this stupid email for? Like, this is not even 
relevant. You set it down and you start paying attention again. And it's just that constant, um, it's not a struggle, but it's a constant like challenge really to stay in the moment that you're, that you're living in. Absolutely. And, and, and I'm going to give you some affirmation about that. You're not my congressman because I don't live in your district, but you're still the people's representative. And dude, I need you to do what you just described. I need you to be present for Brady. And the reason I need you to be present for Brady is because then when you do what we've asked you to do, you'll do it with a fullness and authenticity of your heart. Because Brady will never be far from your heart. Right. Right. So, and then the reason I say that is because I viscerally felt like I can experience it too. I've got clients you know, there's, there's, there, there's, there's a meme that we use when we get distracted in work. And the meme is when we find ourselves distracted, then we chastise ourselves and say, oh, come on, will anybody die? Well, the truth is you're in Congress. Yes, people will die. Right? And so the, the energy behind the anxiety makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. And. How do I, as your, as one of your constituents in a broad way, want you to make that, go into that decision? With your full heart. With an awareness that there's a consequence to the, every single one of the decisions that you all make. And that consequence has meaning for me, for my children, for your children, for your dogs, for your wife. For the people that we agree with, for the people that we don't. I, I, I don't mean to, to slip in, into chastising, but, it, but it's sort of like I want to affirm that, mm-hmm. right, and, and support you on that. Because I think, you know, to go back to, to, to the point about John Kabat-Zinn, so much of what we do in the body politic is project our unresolved feelings and our suffering and our anxieties onto each other. And then heaven forbid we make law and we solidify that, right? And, you know, I I promise not to get to political, but we start to say we're going to close the doors to the country because we're afraid. Not we're going to examine the process carefully and make sure that the people are safe. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not to get political, but right. you bring you bring the issue up that's hot right now is the, you know with everything that's happened in Paris and right. the, there's just a high high level of fear right. uh, in the country and and so a week or two ago we were presented with an opportunity to um, deal with the refugees coming in and soon as the issue was brought up, I mean it wasn't five seconds mm. and the president was going to veto and I'm a Democrat. Yep. You know, I'm, the president was going to veto what the Republicans were going to do before he even knew what the Republicans were going to do. Right. <laughs> right. And the Republicans were calling the Democrats soft on terrorism or right. soft on security, whatever, before they even like understood the full process of how refugees come into the country. Right. And, and, and nobody budged from those two uh, mm. positions. And again, like we were thrown in the middle of it. And, mm. you know, 
when, when the actual legislation came, it was kind of what you said, why don't we examine this process very carefully given the new circumstances mm -hmm. and let's see what it looks like and are there ways for us to improve it and people to take responsibility for it. And so I found myself parting ways with my own party mm -hmm. and getting kicked around like viciously on social media that I hated refugees. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, my great grandfather was an immigrant that came here from Italy. Like this right. is like, right. it's a ridiculous proposition, but to your point of like, I'm, I've especially feel like since I have a family, have a son, mm -hmm. um, I am totally comfortable now with making decisions that, I know are in with my own judgment mm. are the best thing mm -hmm. for the country that I feel are the best thing for the country. Now I may be wrong, but I can say, this is what I feel. This is what I think. This is what I feel. This is how I'm going to cast my vote mm. and let the chips fall where they may, because I'm just not going to get into the anxiety of like trying to be a pleaser. Mm. You know, I mm. just, I, you can't, you can't do it. You'll burn yourself out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. You know what? Part of what comes to mind is you know one of the one of the podcasts that uh, episodes was with uh, a dear friend and and mentor in many ways, um, the writer Parker Palmer, and and he likes to say that violence is what we do when we don't know what to do with our suffering. Wow. Violence is what we do when we don't know what to do with our suffering, and remembering that as we talk through these issues is really an important issue because if we want to decrease the violence, if he's right, and I suspect he is, then if we want to decrease the violence in the world, we actually have to do something about the suffering. And in a similar fashion, polarization and hardness of feelings, which is the least intellectually sound way to debate important issues, is what we do when we don't know what to do with our fear. Now, there are colleagues of yours, I'm sure, who are trying to please and trying to govern by polls and all that stuff. And we'll leave their karma to themselves. But on every issue, there are people who, who actually are heartfelt in their positions and their views. And when, when Paris happens, who isn't afraid? I, I, I happened to be driving in Boulder, and one of the first thoughts that I, I had was, oh, boy, thank goodness I'm not in New York. And then I thought of my children, and I said, oh, thank goodness my children are in New York. And then I thought, oh, my God, there are people I love who are in New York. And this was all in the space of a nanosecond. Yeah. And any reaction, any intellectual reaction I had, do this, do this, do this, do this, Unless I have the power of contemplation to pause and work with the feelings that arise, it's not going to be the most intellectually sound decision that I make. It's going to come from a place of not knowing what to do with my fear and suffering. Right. And it's a kind of violence. Immediately yeah. saying yes, immediately saying no. Yeah. Does this resonate? Yeah, it's, it's well, it's it's crazy because it it just gets to that um, point where, and I I tried to say this during this discussion I had with my staff and everyone else in the interviews I did after. It's okay to be afraid. It's do you let the fear control you, That's and right. does that fear drive your decision making? You know, if you're not afraid, 
then there's a problem. <laughs> you're the only one, you know, if you're not afraid, you're the only one that's right. not afraid. And again, it gets to that, um, that choice, you know, that choice that you have as to where you put your attention. And if you have enough space to watch what you watched kind of unfold in your own mind without mm-hmm. really reacting too much to it, you mm-hmm. know, you probably reacted some, your body probably tensed mm-hmm. up and whatnot mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Um, but then, you know, what do you do with it? You know, you're grateful that your kids aren't in New York, mm-hmm. you know, you may have picked up the phone and called them and just mm-hmm. said, mm-hmm. I love you. I'm glad you're not in New York. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, whatever, but you have a, you have a choice. I um, I don't know if you've met or talked with Michael Gervais, who no. um, is the sports psychologist for the Seattle Seahawks, and he mm-hmm. does a bunch mm-hmm. of uh, athletes. Um, and he has a podcast, and he has uh, some clips on the internet that I've watched. And he said something in one of the clips that I've watched that the most important conversation and he uses this with all his athletes. Mm. The most important conversation you have is the conversation you have with yourself. Mm. And that's what he tries to teach athletes. You know, if you're over a golf putt and you're saying, I'm going to miss this, I'm going to miss this good chance. You're going to miss it. Or I'm afraid I'm nervous. Who's watching how much, you know, my buddy bet me $3 that I'm going to miss the putt. You know, I, so I really tried to adopt that since I've heard it and use it with my own kids. It's like, what conversation are you having with yourself? You know, and that, is a big indicator as to how you feel, what your outlook on life is, where, where, what mood are you in, you know? And if I catch one of the kids in a, in a, you know, grumpy mood, I said, what, what kind of conversation you having with yourself now? And they may get irritated at the moment I say it, but I hope over time it becomes a habit of what am I thinking about right now? And is it something I'm just making up? Cause that's the thing in the five day retreat that I really was yeah. like, I'm just making this shit up. That's like, right. <laughs> what am I thinking about here? This is like crazy. And you know, when you, cause at the retreat, you had to put down your cell phone, you had to put down, you know, yeah. there wasn't a computer. You weren't supposed to be reading. You weren't supposed to be journaling or anything like that. And so you sit there and you start watching your mind go from, you know, why am I sitting here? This, my back hurts. Mm-hmm. Why am I sitting here? This is a waste of time. I should be back home in Ohio. I'm losing votes right now. I could be at this event. If I stay here this whole week, I'm going to lose thousands of votes and I'm probably going to lose my job. You know, and then what am I going to do? And you, you watch your mind go through this process of just make believe. And, <laughs> and you think, do I do this all the time? No wonder I'm exhausted at the end of the day. I, this is all I do. And I don't even know I'm doing it. I'm doing other stuff, but I'm, this is happening in, in behind the scenes. And it's such a great awareness to just say, hey, what conversation are you having with yourself? And you have the power to change that the inner dialogue. I, I, I think that's brilliant. I think that, that that's absolutely brilliant. And and again, it 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 you know, the, it, this kind of self-awareness, you know, the line I often use is, is radical self-inquiry. And the question I'll, I'll, I'll challenge a client to think about is, what are you up to? Because you're right. I think we, 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 we slip into that crazy mindset. But, but, the, but the other line that came, came to mind was, was one quick thing, another thing from, from Parker, who likes to say, you know, quoting Socrates, the, the unexamined life is not worth living. 
And then he adds, but if you choose to live your life in an unexamined way, don't take a job that involves people. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that that's, that's really the point. It's like that there's our obligation to each other. So last question and, and then we'll start to wrap the application of this kind of a mindset, right? So you and I might disagree on a particular issue, or, you know, the Trans-Pacific Trade Agreement, I don't even remember what it's called, you know, or this agreement or that agreement. But allowing the spaciousness for you to have your feelings, which then inform your intellectual position and allowing me that kind of a position, you know, it's easy. Here we are, we've both been on meditation retreats. What's it like being in a place where, dare I say, there's a lot of fear? What's it like trying to to bring that kind of uh, mindfulness against the the projection of anxiety into the body politic? What's what's that like for you? Well, I mean, it's the the most difficult part is that you find that that fear is um, it's obviously blocking progress, but it has us spending so much energy in areas that won't yield any benefits for anybody. Mm. You know, like we have fights about stupid things that don't matter. Mm. They, they end up mattering because if you don't deal with them, like you create problems and then you have to deal with them. Like we're going to, shut the government down. Well, oh shit. Now we got to deal with like, we can't, we can't, what, what do we got to do to not shut it down? Because if the government shuts down, although mo- some people think that it won't matter, mm-hmm. it really does. Mm-hmm. Like, so you spend all these moments and all this energy trying to solve a problem that was self-inflicted. You know, right. Right. I mean, I, I played a lot of sports growing up and almost every one of my coaches would say, I can handle physical mistakes, but I can't handle mental errors, mm-hmm. self-inflicted wounds, you know, that, that, you know, you kick the ball off your shoe when you're trying to dribble and there's no defender around, you know, like that kind of thing, unforced errors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the most frustrating part when you're dealing with so much fear is we're, we're creating a lot of unforced errors that we have to spend a lot of time and energy cleaning up. And so, that energy and creativity is not being spent in innovating the system. I mean, I think Democrat, Republican, everybody's in agreement that the government needs to be innovated. We're working off an old industrial model, the way the government functions. It's not keeping up. It's not doing what it needs to do to really function, to create um, growth and shared growth and all the rest. We don't, there's not enough energy left. We're worried about like shutting down the government here because we're running from fear, you know, and um, it leads to a lot of short term thinking, I guess, would be the most concise way of putting it. Like there's no one there's no one. I don't think there's many people in the private sector right now because they're worried about next quarter's value shared. So you got you got the whole entire business world worried about next quarter. And you've got the entire political world worried about the next election, which is always just months away. Mm-hmm. And so there's really no one saying, OK, I mean, can you imagine someone saying we're going to go to the moon in the next 10 years? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, everyone would say, boy, that's a big waste of money. What are we going there for? And the other half would say, what do you mean 10 years? We've got to wait 10 years till we get to the moon. Mm-hmm. You know, but that was a different, that was a World War II depression era mindset of things take time. Mm-hmm. Like you just, you make the investments, you work hard, and at some point it'll pop, mm-hmm. which it did, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because that, that formula works. You plant a good seed with good intention and fertilize it and get it rolling and tend to it and it pops. We don't have that today. And I think, um, this immediate, you know, culture of, we want it right now, um, is, is really killing it. You know, I've got a, I've got a bill that I want to put a salad bar in a garden in every school. Uh Uh-huh. So I want to do it because I think if we want to drive down healthcare costs, we got to reteach people how to eat. You know, your parents probably had a garden. My grandparents had a garden. They did. It wasn't the best diet, but everything was fresh and everything was pretty much homegrown and homemade. Yeah. And don't tell anybody, but they also made their own wine. So, oh, no, no. <laughs> that's when the fun started. Um, but to me, part that the health reasons, mm. one reason to have the, the garden in the school. But the other reason is I think we need to really reteach that concept that you plant the seed and you put dirt over it and you fertilize it and you water it and you let the sun hit it and you mm. tend to it and you then you know you let it it grows over time because in life you know yeah you want to go out and make money and get a car but you don't want to get strapped with debt so the way to be successful is make some early investments in yourself delayed gratification mm. you know invest in your education so over time maybe you won't make as much money today but over time your earning potential will go up We've got to reteach it because we're in the fast food mentality. We're in the, you know, if you don't like the channel, click it. If you don't Mm. like what's happening on the game, reset it, you know, and get going again. And that's not how the real world works. So all this fear, all this short-term thinking, all this kind of fast food psychology mentality that we have today is leading to a politics and, and I think an economy that doesn't have the best interest of long-term sustained kind of growth Mm. that really is what's needed to reduce as much suffering as possible that can be inflicted from the economic system and the healthcare system that can go bankrupt and all the rest because you're not willing to make the big decisions that will have the best long-term prospects. You know, I'll, I'll link this back to, to my everyday clients. You know, um, I was, I was working with a young client, uh, yesterday, he's a 25 year old CEO, and you know he lives in a culture where, come on, it's been three years. How come your company's not worth a billion? <laughs> and, yeah. You know, and you know you laugh, but 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 you know, thankfully, this whole notion of billion dollar valuations, and I don't know if you've heard the term unicorns, but that's what we're referring to them. It's like you know, is your company a unicorn? And the, the irony is that the, the reason we called it a unicorn is because it's a mythological creature. It doesn't really exist, right? Yeah. And yeah. yet, because my company's not a billion-dollar valuation company, and, and I've been at it for four years, right? Uber's yeah. worth $40, 45000000000 billion now, right? Because I've been at it for so, for so long, right? It's that's it's it's another extension of the same mindset that you have, which is, you know, if you think about your grandparents or you think about my grandparents, it's like they spend 30, 40 years building a business. Yeah. Building a life. 
You know, yeah. they they yeah. they plant seeds, and then you know, five years from now, they have vines that they take the grapes and they make wine from the grapes after five years because yeah. it takes time, right? You know, to mature. Right. They buy a small house and add one room one year and three, four years later, they'll build another little room on and, yeah. and they'll close in the patio one year. You know, it's just, it was more methodical and uh, they enjoyed the process. You know, I mean, right. I, I, they were Italian and I don't know if I think a lot of cultures do this, but it was, we took our time and ate dinner, right. you know, it was about being together wasn't a, and the food was obviously a part of it, but it was about the time together in the process, you know, and, and, um, you know, you hurry up and get somewhere and then you forget how you even got there. And did you enjoy the process or did you have a heart attack once you made the billion dollars? Cause you were so stressed out and, you know, made or, yourself sick over it. Or what was it that you actually ate? Yeah. Did you even pay attention? Right. You know? It reminds me of that beautiful meditation uh, practice of uh, placing a grape in your mouth oh, yeah. and not chewing it, right? Yeah. Just letting it slowly dissolve. And it can take five minutes. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and just seeing it. Or, or a raisin more than a grape. Well, Tim, it was a delight really connecting with you. And, and it's great to be with you too, man. You know, taking the time to do this and talk through these issues, I know it's a little unexpected for people. And, you know, uh, let's hope that that bill passes. And, and I just want to add my thanks to you. Your job is not easy. And there are sacrifices. And my thanks to your wife and your kids as well. Because, uh, you know, you're not home. And I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, you know, I may not always agree with the things that you do, but I agree with the heart of why you do things. And, and I'd rather have uh, that uh, representing me than, than someone whom I agree with, but for all the wrong reasons. So thank you for that. Um, and uh, it was really a pleasure having you on. Thanks. Appreciate it. Let's do it again. You got it. All right. So that's it for our conversation today. I know a lot was covered in this episode, from links to books to quotes to images. So we went ahead and compiled all that and put it on our site at reboot.io slash podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can find out about that on our site as well. I'm really grateful that you took the time to listen. If you enjoyed the show and you want to get all the latest episodes as we release them, head over to iTunes and subscribe. And while you're there, it would be great if you could leave us a review, letting us know how the show affected you. So thank you again for listening, and I really look forward to future conversations together.